Somebody may have said something, oh, you, you think that's hard, you should look at this race they have down in Tennessee. If you're going to face a real challenge, it has to be a real challenge. You can't accomplish anything without the possibility of failure. The primary villain is the course. And for some people, just to get back to camp alive is all they want in the world. Well, Happy New Year. I hope that race is not on your schedule for 2019. Uh, some fun facts about this, if there's any such thing as fun facts. This race is not a marathon, it's 100 miles. Uh, they give you 60 hours to do it. It started in 1986 and only 25, I'm sorry, not 20, 15 people have ever finished it. And if you don't like that distance, there's a fun run of 60 miles with a 40-hour cutoff. Runners ascend and descend over 120,000 feet of elevation during this race. That's like climbing Mount Everest two times, up and down. But the race only costs $1.60, so that's pretty doable. And listen to what this legal disclaimer says. When you run this race, you've got to sign this. It says, if I'm stupid enough to attempt the Barkley, I deserve to be held responsible for any result of that attempt, be it financial, physical, mental, or anything else. Well, you may know that scripture often uses the metaphor of a race to describe the Christian life. It's like a runner running the race. It's the race of faith. In that famous passage in Hebrews, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the, uh, the perfecter and founder of our faith. Paul said himself that he was fighting the good fight and I have finished the race. So it's true, there is a race that is set out for each one of us in our lives. But thankfully, it's not like the Barkley Marathon. God in his scriptures has given us clarity about how we start, how to run, how to finish, and how to win this race, unlike the Barkley. The Christian race is not a solo sport. It's not just up to me and my strength, but it's lived out in the power of God's spirit and we're running alongside other people. So this morning, we're going to finish up a two-week series, a short two-week series that Brian started last week called Start Well, Finish Well. Uh, Brian worked through uh, Psalm 90, and he reminded us of who God is, who we are, and that in 2019, we should be praying for God's wisdom, joy, and purpose in the coming year. And so the question we're asking is, what do we need to do to not just finish well, but to start well? I don't know about you, but... I like to start things. I'm not very good at finishing them. I have a whole stack of journals, I think, down in my basement of starting the year. I'm going to journal. I'm going to kind of think through things, and then by about March, I'm done. So I got this whole stack, so I don't have to buy anymore for a while. And my prayer is that this morning, uh, this message would be really, really practical. You go away with some action steps. Uh, that it even be a little fun. Uh, I'm going to work in. Uh, this analogy, this metaphor of, of the runner. And most importantly, I, I hope that it brings some encouragement and uh, some hope for us as we move into 2019 as we uh, desire to run well. I don't know about you, if you've ever run a 5K or a 10K or even a half marathon or a marathon, uh, we always want to know, what's it like? I mean, we, we try to find somebody who's done it before and we ask about the, the, the race. Is it hilly? Is it tough? Um, what should I wear, how should I get ready, how many aid stations are out there. And we're looking for some tips, some advice. And hopefully we find the right person, and hopefully we actually follow them, and it helps us. 
So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at six racing tips from the Apostle Paul to help us run well in 2019. So if you have your Bibles, you can uh, start to turn to uh, Philippians. It's in the New Testament way back. Um, And uh, as you do that, let me just give you a little bit of background about uh, Philippians. Paul's writing this letter. Paul the Apostle, he's the guy that went around planting all these, uh, these churches. And he's writing a letter back to the Philippian church um, which he planted earlier. He's probably in Rome. He's very old. He's probably under house arrest. And he's towards the end of his life. And he's writing to give them thanks for their gift. And he's writing them to uh, say, stay unified, stay humble. And he's also warning them. But it's a book of joy. Even though Paul is in prison, it's a book of joy. And if I think, uh, I, I think if Paul was to give us only one of these six racing tips, the very first one would be the one that he would say, this is, this is what it's all about. You know, the stakes are high. And if we don't get this one right, in life we could drift, we could get stuck, feeling frustrated, we could even get lost on the course, and uh, probably even having a desire just to want to fall out and drop out of the race. So let's look at what Paul has to say. First, in verse 10, he says this, I want to know Christ, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, become like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says that your race tip number one, folks, is that you must run with the finish in mind. Now, if you're somebody who likes to take notes and fill in blanks, I'm going to put you to work this morning. There's a lot there, uh, so hang in there, and I'll try to walk you through that. But race tip number one is to run with the finish in mind. For Paul, he had a single-minded pursuit or a single-minded goal, whatever you want to say, and that is to simply know Christ. He knew what his objective was in running this Christian race. And although it's simply put, it might seem rather simplistic, right, and obvious to us to know Christ. I mean, after all, this is the Apostle Paul. He is the one who met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and he was absolutely opposed to the Christian gospel. So Christ met him decisively there on the road and turned his life around. He had met Christ so surely, it seems strange that the apostle would say, I want to know Christ. But what Paul is saying here is that knowing Christ is not a one-time event. Yes, Paul did come to know Christ decisively on that road, but Paul is saying now, I want to know him even more, day in, day out. I want to grow in my knowledge of him deeper and better in this relationship that I have with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's not unlike a marriage. You know, when I got married to my wife, Cheryl, I knew her. I did my homework. I knew about her. I knew what she liked and what she didn't like, or so I thought. And if we were having dinner, I knew that she wouldn't want a Big Mac. But I also knew that she was compassionate and she cared about missions. And so we got married And I knew a decent amount about her on that wedding day. Well, 25 years ago, I can safely say now that I know her much, much better than I did those 25 years ago. And yes, I knew a lot then, I know a lot now, and I can safely say I have a great deal to learn more about her. I'm learning more and more what makes her tick, what kind of person she is, and what she likes and dislikes. So if you're married or in a relationship, you get that. Paul says, look, it's not just about that decisive moment on the road to Damascus. I want to know Christ more and more, day by day, every single day, until that day Christ returns and I see him again face to face. 
Paul, above else, wants to deepen his knowledge, his relationship with Jesus the Lord. Also, Paul knew that it was far better than focusing on what he could achieve himself by his own efforts. You know, when it comes to New Year's resolutions, I think Paul probably would have been one of the best at it. He says so himself in verses 4 through 6, as far as self-improvement goals are concerned, no one's better. If someone else thinks that they should have confidence in the flesh, and that is trusting in our own, uh, our own abilities, our own efforts, and what we achieve, Paul says, I have more. Look at all the things that I've done. No one was going to beat him in terms of his spiritual resume. He talked about his heritage, his spiritual heritage. He talked about his character, his zeal. Paul would be the one who said that he was uh, the guy that's going to go out on, on, after New Year's, get a gym membership, and he's going to show up three days a week. And in December, you'd actually find him there. Wouldn't that be surprising? But for all the accomplishments, all the efforts that he put in, and all the energy, Paul considers every single one of these things worthless. More than that, he calls it garbage. And actually, the, the literal word means dung, manure. It's the kind of thing that you actively want to throw out. So Paul says, those things that I did by my own efforts, that I put my confidence in uh, before, I now consider them not just worthless, but they're to be discarded, they're to be thrown away. Compared to what? Compared to knowing Jesus in this ongoing relationship. This is the experience, this intimate relationship that we want, that we have if we follow Christ. This is the gospel. So in 2019, Paul wants us to understand that the most worthwhile thing that we can pursue is knowing Christ better. This is our finish line. This is the run that we want to do with that in mind, that finish line. So around here at Woodlands, we call, we use a little bit different language, and we call someone who's knowing Christ like Paul is, we call them a Christ-centered person. That is our goal, that's our pursuit. It is one who just doesn't have knowledge about Jesus. It's someone who is merely, not merely just in a relationship with Christ, but is someone who is trusting and following him, allowing him to transform him and change him so that the love of God and the love of others becomes the mark of that person. Uh, Paul says in Galatians that there's the fruit of the Spirit. And we think about somebody who is a Christ-centered person. We think of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Those are the things that should mark us. That is what we're aiming for. He transforms us to look like that and act like that when we pursue him. As we run with the single-minded pursuit of knowing Christ, he will transform us. It just can't help. God cannot help but do that. It was true for Paul in A.D. 60, and it's true for us in 2019. But isn't it true that our lives can get so filled with activity and stuff to do, and even good stuff, that it's worthy stuff, that we may even miss that mark, miss that aim? And here's where we can be running the race, the right race, and we can get a little fuzzy on the finish line or the goal. Let me give you an example. Um, Take a very Christian New Year's resolution, uh, reading your Bible. To read the Bible more, and this is a great thing, right? It's a great thing to do, and we're, we're going to encourage it. So let's say you have a plan to do Woodlands in the Word. It's where you read uh, a chapter uh, a day. You do five chapters in one week, and you attempt to read through the whole Bible um, uh, or the, old, the, the New Testament in one, uh, in one year. So let me ask you a question. Uh, why, why do you want to do it? What's our motivation? 
Is it with the aim of opening up God's living word and meeting him? With the intention of allowing him to change us, to make us more Christ-like? Is it to know Christ more so he can transform you from the inside out? Or is it actually because you feel you ought to do it? I'm a churchgoer. They're encouraging me to do it. It's a nice thing to say, yes, I've made it through the New Testament. Or for those of us that are really spiritual, I've made it through cover to cover, through the whole Bible this past year. I've checked the box and I've sensed that feeling of accomplishment. The question of why I'm doing this is a great question, I think. And I need to ask myself that. Because when things go wrong, it's going to shape the way I move forward. You see, when I miss a day of my reading plan, which I know I will at some point, I'm going to get distracted. I'm going to miss a day here and there, um, maybe just for a lack of discipline. But what happens when I miss that day? The question is, what will I do? See, if I make the achievement the main thing, I'm going to simply give up. It's all about checking the box and keeping my resolutions. And I'm going to want to just stop because that's what my goal was. But you see, if my aim is to know Christ and to know him as my Lord, then it's that I will continue with that aim. I'm going to press on. I won't worry if my one-year Bible plan is going to take 15 months. The plan is not the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. And the good news of the gospel is not just that we're going to go to heaven when we die. The gospel is life in the kingdom of God right now, where God's plan is that he would restore his image in each one of us. So Paul says, let's run with that in mind. That's our end goal, to know Christ and to be like him. Run with the finish in mind, and that is to know him. Well, Paul's second race tip for us is this, that, that we know where you're at. Know where you're at. And that's kind of a, a weird racing tip. But let me explain. There was a guy named Jim Walmsley. He's probably one of the best ultra uh, marathoners today, probably the most gifted. And he did his first 100 about three years ago out at Western States. It's a 100-mile race. And at mile 93, he was in the lead by an hour over the second-place pers- uh, second person. And he was under the course record by about 20 minutes. And so he got to mile 93, and somehow he missed his turn and got lost. And I want to pick it up, and I want to read part of what his story is. Around mile 93, I had gone about a mile without seeing course markings, and I started to get worried, says Walmsley. I saw Highway 49, and although there was no flagging, I thought, this has got to be the course, and I trusted my intuition. It's so hard to convince yourself to go backwards during the race. A mile later, Walmsley knew something had gone wrong. It is very heartbreaking to make such a mistake, he says. I was just sitting, lying on the side of the road. My muscles seized up and I had lost my competitive edge. When Walmsley was finally discovered two miles off course, he was not in good shape. The race's medical staff offered him a ride back in the truck. It was so hard not getting into that truck, but I knew my crew was waiting for me, and I knew I could finish. At that point, Walmsley shifted his perspective. I went from trying to break a record and win the race to just trying to finish. I mean, I'm out there for the same experience as everyone else, to suffer and embrace the challenge. You see, it took courage for Jim to admit he was off course. He ended up in 20th place, and he was only seven miles away from finishing and winning it. But until he honestly assessed his situation and realized the reality that he was in, he would have missed, and he missed the turn, and he wasn't, uh, and if he, if he hadn't acknowledged that, he may not have ever finished the, the race. 
And I think in the Christian life, it's important as well to stop and to figure out where you're at. Paul says you need to know where you're at. And in this tip, we see how Paul had an honest prognosis of himself, an honest assessment. Notice what he says. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul had an honest and a humble assessment of his current spiritual condition. It seems that there was some accusations floating around the Philippian church that said, hey, Paul is saying that he's arrived, that he's fully mature, and that he knows Christ fully. And Paul comes back, and this is the great apostle. He says, I've not arrived yet. He says it in verse 12. I have not already obtained all this. And then in verse 13 again, he says, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I haven't taken hold of fully knowing him and becoming like him. Paul, this old man in prison who has done so much, continues to press on. He's still aware that he needs to grow. There's still rough edges and sin in his life that he wants to see go. And I find in my own life, at times, it's easy just to sit back and to rest and to uh, kind of coast and to uh, place our com- my confidence on what I've done, uh, what I'm currently doing, or even my position. And you see, the starting point of Christian growth for all of us, of becoming like Christ, is knowing where we need to grow, seeing areas of our lives where we need changing, and accepting the fact that we are not where we ought to be. In order to take the next step in 2019, we all need to take a spiritual assessment. So let me suggest that we all just take a little bit of time in this next week and we pray. Ask for humility. Ask for insight. Pray for some holy dissatisfaction. And say, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be satisfied with where I'm at spiritually. Pray that God would help you see where you're at honestly in your spiritual journey. And maybe for some of you, if you're honest, hey, I haven't even started this race. I'm just kind of considering things, and that's, that's okay. But be honest with yourself if you're in the race. Or maybe you're on the performance track like Paul was and aiming for a different goal. Others of us maybe need to step back and say, you know what, I've been way too hard on myself. God actually has been at work in my life. And five years ago, this is where I was, and today I'm here. And to give thanks and to be grateful. So let me suggest that we find a trusted friend or a spouse or somebody that can look into our lives a little bit and just ask them, hey, what, where do you think I need to grow? So starting well in 2019 is, is going to require us to do some hard work uh, in this area. So tip one, Paul says to run with the finish in mind. Tip two, he says make sure you know where you're at. And tip three, Paul says, learn to run with confidence. Learn to run with confidence. You know, for a runner, and this sounds kind of weird, but race day, it all boils down to trust. It all boils down to trust. It's not the time to start questioning, did I do this right or that right? You've got to run with confidence. You've got to trust your coach, your preparation, your equipment, all the training you did, your nutrition, your strategy, your habits and your hard work ethic that you're going to do out on the course. What is going to get you across the finish line? You need to have confidence when you're running, and it's determined by a lot of those things. 
And likewise, in the Christian life, we have to ask ourselves, what are we placing our confidence in as we move forward? Notice what Paul says here in verse 10. He says, his aim or his pursuit comes with power. And this is what you and I need to hear. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Paul says we can run with confidence now because Christ is our aim and he is in our lives. This doesn't depend on my effort and willpower. Amen? It's the power of Christ's resurrection that is now working in me by his spirit. So how, however overwhelmed you may be feeling as we go into 2019, you can know it is by Christ and by his power that he can be working in us and through us for change. But how does that work? I mean, really? Um, it seems so vague. I ask that question a lot. Is it, so God's in my life and he's, uh, it's up to him to do all the changing so I sit back and let him do it? I've tried that and there's not a lot of good change. I've tried the other option where I just, I grit it. and It's all self-effort. I'm going to do this. And every once in a while, I'll call it to God and he will help me. So the question is, what, what should that look like? Theologians call this whole process of spiritual growth, a uh, big fancy word, sanctification. You probably throw it around. It's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. But the question is, whose job is it? Is it my job or is it God's job? And I want to look at a passage here in Philippians, not in the one that we're in, just a couple to the left in chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says here. It's pretty interesting. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. A couple things to note. First, Paul says work out your own salvation, which means your role, our role, my role is important. He goes on to say, for it is God, it is God who is at work in you. You're not doing this project on your own. Sanctification is empowered by God and it's impossible, really, without him. When Paul says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you know, we get all worried about that. He doesn't mean you should work out your salvation with a sense of anxiety, not knowing whether it's going to be good enough for God. Instead, Paul uses the phrase to refer to a humble attitude of dependence. He's suggesting that we have a role and God has a role, but we don't control it. And I've heard this said before, and this has been helpful. So there's some things that we can control, right? We can make a phone call, we can drive our car, uh, we can run errands, but some things we can do nothing about. We cannot control the weather, unfortunately. We cannot uh, control if the Packers win or not, unfortunately. God is the only one that can change the weather. But there's a third category. Think about going to sleep. Can you force yourself to go to sleep? Not really. But you can go into a dark room, lay down on a mattress, turn out the lights, and sleep will come. Or think about the difference between a motorboat and a sailboat. In a motorboat, I'm in control, right? I start the engine, I control the speed, and I go wherever I want. But think about a sailboat. It's different. When I'm sailing, I'm not passive. I have a role to play. I hoist the sails and I steer with the udder, but I'm utterly dependent on what? The wind. 
There's no room for believing that I'm in control when I'm in a sailboat, when I'm in a sailboat. Because if the wind doesn't blow, I'm dead in the water. And when the wind does blow, on the other hand, some amazing things can happen. In John 3, 8, Jesus says, The wind blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So let me ask you this morning, where are the winds of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, blowing in your life? Where and how is God at work in you? What sin is he seeking to free you from? And I think asking these questions and recognizing God's activity in our life is one way to cooperate with God in a sanctifying process. God, how are you seeking to transform me in this moment? Those should be questions that we're asking all the time because, again, it's a cooperation. Paul says, in short, you can run with confidence because you're empowered by God. God will change you. We need to cooperate, but remember, it's not all up to you. Okay, Paul, so how do we proactively do this? And that leads us to Paul's fourth race tip. Uh, and by the way, in your notes, um, tip four and tip five, if you're actually writing this down, are reversed. So you'll get all confused if you try to fill in the wrong one. So, so Paul says, don't forget to train. Don't forget to train. Paul had an intentional plan. And this seems like a no-brainer because we know that the primary reason an elite athlete, if you think about the Olympics, the only reason that they can get there is by having a specific training plan and sticking to it. Very few, I think, if any, could get there just on pure talent and effort. It just couldn't happen. So Paul, who probably, when he was in Corinth, uh, experienced the, the games and he saw it firsthand, he kind of steals this familiar imagery and applies it to the Christian life. Listen to what he says to his young prodigy, Timothy, in his letter uh, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 7, 8 have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Paul says that if you want to be godly, Timothy, you need to train. It doesn't happen by accident. Transformation transformation will just not happen. We need to pursue it. So Paul's fourth race tip is don't forget to train. And as we look to imitate Paul in his life, he had an intentional plan. Here at Woodlands, uh, you hear about this spiritual growth plan. Um, One of the things that I just want to draw your attention to is you leave, I believe, out at the Welcome Center, the Information Center. Uh, There is a little half sheet that says creating a spiritual growth plan. Let me read to you uh, a part of that. A spiritual growth plan is an intentional, thought-through, and written-out plan that describes and defines what you believe God would have you do to walk with him and grow spiritually. It's been long understood of men and women through the ages that God causes us to grow, but it is our responsibility to put ourselves in the position to grow. There are certain resources and disciplines that have been long recognized as means of grace that God has ordained to nurture our spiritual lives. A spiritual growth plan is simply thinking through and personalizing how we will incorporate these into our lives. So I encourage you to pick this up. I'm not going to go through it today. Uh, But there's just two elements that I want to draw your attention to here at Woodlands that will help you. And one is Woodlands in the Word. I had mentioned that. And secondly, something new that we're really trying to establish since uh, this fall is called Woodlands in Prayer. And it's just a tool to help you in your devotional life as you pray 
so you can find that on the app. Spiritual disciplines, I don't know if that term is new to you, but let me give you one definition and then flesh this out a little bit. And I like this one. It's any activity that can help me gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled it. It's any activity that can help me gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled it. Um, One of the things about the spiritual disciplines that I've found very helpful is this phrase, and John Ortberg talks about it in the book, The Life You've Always Wanted, but it's it's this phrase called, uh, or uh, the difference between training versus trying. Um, And he says that there is an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something. Now let me illustrate it this way. Uh, We have a good friend around here, Heath Erickson. I don't know, I'm going to throw the slide up here. Uh, Some of you may know him. He was our youth pastor here, and Heath uh, is an excellent Nordic skier, cross-country skier. I don't know if we have a picture yet. Uh, Although beginning his Berkey skiing, uh, skiing much after Brian and myself, he easily passed us up. Uh, Even with the the name Erickson, it didn't get him uh, to be a great skier. He trained and trained and trained. He developed a specific written-out training plan, and he follows it religiously. He uh, actually roller skis when there's no snow, so he's been out roller skiing a lot. Uh, He does interval training, long skis. He lifts weights. He does core workouts. He changes his nutrition. He's got uh, all the right equipment. He's learned how to wax skis. He's taken lessons, and he practices and practices, specifically in different techniques, skiing without poles, hill workouts. Heath has trained. And the result of that training for Heath is race day. And you see here, he's looking pretty good, he's got great form, and he is actually a wave one skier in the Berkey. I believe he's wave one. And, uh, and that is because of all the time, not during race time, that he's putting in his training. Um, let's contrast Heath, who was training with someone. Well, you'll see. Let's take a look. All right, I don't know if you notice who that is. That's, that's me up there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not training or I'm not trying. <laughs> I'm not doing either one there. Uh, but I am watching skiing, and I'm working on technique, and I'm, I'm, I'm hydrating, uh, and I'm trying to get ready. But here's the, here's the deal. I'll throw up the next slide, please. Uh, race day... I've got to do a lot of effort. I've got to go out there and just try to be like Heath. <laughs> uh, I've skied with him, and I'll get behind him for a while, and I watch his tank I'll try to do his thing, but I never can keep up, and I end up skiing like that. I believe that the Christian life is no different, really. I want to give you an example. Uh, in my own life, I remember a few years back, I heard a talk on gratitude, and I was deeply convicted that I need to go out and change. I need to be more of a thankful person Not that I was overtly ungrateful, but I just didn't have a thankful heart. And I was discontent more and more. And I wanted to be thankful. And I wasn't experiencing that. Well, for the next few days, I was pretty good. I went out there and tried. I was very uh, single-minded towards being thankful. And I think I did pretty good. But over time, over days and weeks, it faded. And I was kind of back to my old self. And as I look back... I don't know if that's your experience at times, but as I look back, I learned I was trying to be a thankful person, but I wasn't training to be a thankful person. I put forth effort, but it was primarily aimed at my behavior and not my heart. And I'm learning that the only way God is going to change my heart is that I begin training that part of my heart and doing spiritual exercises like 
praying prayers of thanksgiving over and over and over, uh, keeping a gratitude journal maybe or a thanksgiving journal, or simply practicing saying thank you to people, that I needed to go after that spiritual muscle so that over time it becomes second nature to be a grateful person. When Heath skis and trains, for example, without poles, it forces him to use the proper technique and he trains those muscles that he needs for race day. Too often, we go out in the Christian life and we just try. I'm going to try. And we fail over and over and over. So I want to encourage us, as Paul says, is to, to start training and be intentional. So as you put together your spiritual growth plan, uh, think about those areas of your life. As you assess where you're at, uh, there's our, there are spiritual disciplines that can help each one of us grow in that specific area. Mine was Thanksgiving. But maybe I don't have a joyful heart. Well, we need to practice the spiritual uh, discipline of, of celebration so that over time it becomes habitual and part of who we are. Well, I wish I had more time to develop the last two race tips, but I just uh, uh, let me fill them in for you and just say a few words about each of them, and then we'll close. Race tip five, Paul tells us to keep moving forward. He says, press on. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I press on. I'm forgetting the past. I'm straining towards what I had. Paul says, I'm going to run the most important race in the world with determination. And I know it's going to take time, but I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to look back until the day, call, uh, until the day Christ calls me heavenward. Friends, this pursuit of Christ's like, likeness is not an event, but it's a process day in, day out. And Paul says that we just need to be making progress. And finally, race tip number six is run together. Paul said he had life-giving partnerships. Verse 17 says, join together, this idea of community. In chapter 1, he tells them that his desire is that they would stand firm in one spirit. That's unity. Striving together, that's community. And standing for the faith. To me, that sounds like a healthy life group. Paul knows that the Christian race, again, is not a solo sport, but it's a team sport. And that in order to run well in 2019, we're going to have to find some running partners.